This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. promise to be good cellmates for you this week. It's episode 235 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham, and no, no, we're not going to prison, but we are going to be talking to the producers and the cast of Arrow to talk about this upcoming season. Of course, Oliver is in prison, and a whole bunch of crazy stuff is going on. We'll see how much info we can get before the big premiere coming up this week. Also, so speaking of premieres, a ton of them to talk about. We're talking about Doctor Who, The Flash, and so much more Black Lightning. Not to mention, we've got to review some comics as well. We've got a lot, get, lot to get to, so let's do it. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm writer Dan Waters, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Drag out the long box, pull out the laptop or the tablet, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading. Not going to waste any time because, man, we've got a lot to get to this week. So let's talk about Infinite Dark, number one, from Top Cow Productions, written by Ryan Cady, Andrea Muti on the art, K. Michael Russell on the colors, and Troy Pateri of A Larger World on the letters. Now, this book's basically about the entire universe is gone. I mean, think about that. Not just civilizations or anything like that, entire universe, gone. And there are only 2,000 survivors that are living on a space station called Orpheus. I say space station, that's what it looks like to me. Maybe it's not as simple as all that. But, I mean, think about having to sustain life in such a small space, you know, with just 2,000 people. It just, it seems like that you could go nuts in there. And there are, you know... 
one of the things of the book is there's like mandatory psychological evaluations. There's also, you know, kind of an AI aboard the ship, like a living computer sort of thing. But it's not really an in-your-face type of deal like some of these sci-fi books tend to be and sci-fi horror actually is what I kind of call this. It wasn't forced future tech and that's one thing that frustrates me about stories like this. This was not like that at all. So that was a breath of fresh air right there. Now there is some sort of a system of government that is in charge of Orpheus, but it's not really too concrete. I mean, there there are certain people that are in certain jobs for sure and there's, you know, kind of a a, a board that runs everything. But there's no real, it just doesn't seem like it's that structured. And that's not a criticism of the book. It's, it's almost like a what would, what, hap, what would happen if this sort of thing happened. And it, it feels a little bit thrown together. And that's not, again, not a criticism. Because in this situation, you almost kind of feel like that's what would happen, right? But towards the story itself, I mean, something's gone wrong. I don't want to, again, I don't want to spoil this. And an investigation is underway for a crime that has occurred inside the station. And if you think about that for a second, again, it's it's almost like when something goes wrong in a small town and you feel like everybody would know and there's only but so many suspects, right? But this one involves somebody pretty important and they kind of know who's involved right away, but they're not sure exactly how this person is involved. And what we do is we kind of center around Diva Harrell, who is the security officer on board the Orpheus. Now we finally find out what's going on and where this person is, and that kind of starts the invest- investigation now into where this person is hiding. Now, in a horror story type of situation, there's typically one of those pretty common things heading to an abandoned area that's you know you know a little bit creepy, but this really feels different. It, I'm not. I don't think it's really a trope that they're following here. There was just a very different feel to it. There's more of a confidence going into it rather than like a red shirt journey where you know half the party's not going to be making it back sort of thing. And it was a very uneasy trip through, not because of how creepy it was, but because you know what you're getting ready to walk into and you know who you're looking for. But when they do find this person, and I don't really think that's a spoiler, they do find this person. It's almost like you found what you're looking for, and at the same time, you found exactly what you didn't expect to find. And the end of this book, or at least the last few pages anyway, were very, very creepy and in almost an uneasy way. And especially the the last panel of the book, that final, I don't know if I would even call it a reveal because you don't know what you're looking at. And that's the beauty part of this book is the unknown. And that is one thing that Ryan Katie and company have captured so well in this book, I think, was the unknown. And you know that when you see Andrea Muti's name on a book, that the art's going to be solid. Wasn't worried about that go- going in at all. And not to say that I was worried about what Ryan Katie was going to do, but I was very, very impressed on how this story was executed and that you gave me very little as far as backstory, but it didn't hinder me liking this book and it was almost like I didn't need to be connected to the characters yet because of the mystery that was surrounding them the mystery interested me so much that it wasn't really important what was going on with the characters themselves so I mean that is the tip of the cap if nothing else I'm very intrigued with Infinite Dark I'm not sure I can give it a full pull just yet 
I'm going to give this a pickup because I want to see how the next issue goes. But this could very be one, very well be one that I absolutely positively have to read at the top of my pile every week, depending on how the next issue goes. But right now, I'm still in. I just don't have two feet in. You know, like you dip your foot in the pool to see if the water's warm enough to sort of dive right in off the diving board. That's where I'm at right now. So I'm not that cautious, but I still would like to see the progression from issue one to issue two. It's going to keep it a little bit in the spooky realm anyway with Star Wars Adventures Vader's Castle number two from IDW. Of course, issue one already out, so I decided to skip the number two to talk about that this week. Kevan Scott doing the writing. Derek Charm and Kelly Jones on the art, Derek Charm also helping out on the colors with Michelle Madsen. And we also have Robbie Robbins and Tom B. Long on the letter. So it's a tag team effort. Now, if you read the first issue, a little bit of spoilers as far as that goes. Although there really isn't much to talk about other than the fact that you have Lena's ship crashing and the, the crew's kind of stranded on that lava planet. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And they see the giant castle, for lack of a better term. And they're thinking, well, you know, we should go there because what else are we going to do? But really, you also know if you read the first issue that this book is basically the crew kind of taking turns telling different horror stories and scary, well, more like scary stories. And this particular one centers around Obi-Wan and investigating a Dark Lord on a planet named Bray that has been kind of plunged into eternal darkness. Now, if you've seen the cover, you obviously know, this isn't really a spoiler, the Count Doku is involved in this book, but there's much more to it than that. And that's the part I don't really want to spoil, but I really do love how he and Obi-Wan played off of one another and their specific interactions, especially when things really started to hit the fan in this book, I thought was very entertaining. And it almost like it's like it's an Obi-Wan that you don't really get to see very often. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I like the fact that we're going through different eras of Star Wars. We had the Clone Wars era and the last one, and this one kind of the 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 prequel era as we move forward to the, you know, the Star Wars prequels films type of cast. And uh, I'm not sure what the next one's going to be, but I mean maybe we'll keep with that linear progression going. Now, when I say horror book, a horror story, I don't really mean the adult style of horror. This isn't going to scare you if you're an adult. I could tell you that right now. It's really not going to creep you out either. This is really targeted to a younger generation anyway. At the same time, I'm not sure this is really meant to scare anyone over the age of maybe a toddler or a little bit older. So if you're worried about your kids reading this book and being freaked out, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Still, these stories are really, really fun and enjoyable for Star Wars fans, especially even if you're an adult. I think you'll definitely get some enjoyment out of this. My only criticism is that you're not really giving me much about the main story that we seem to be coming back to over and over in every issue, and it may be moving a bit too slowly. So it's almost like a, you know, like when you're watching a, a Prince's Bride and you're waiting for them to get back to the main story, you don't necessarily want to see Fred Savage being told the story, even though that's part of it. You, you want to get back to the story itself. So, so I completely understand, as far as that goes, wanting to get back to that and that's kind of what I like in it too so again I'm going to give this a pickup because I am interested to, to see the new stories each week but at the same time I'm not really super sure that this is something that's going to keep my interest as an adult anyway moving forward that's going to do it for what we're reading up next a boatload of reviews to get to and we will start with the big one the 
the the 13th Doctor is here and Doctor Who. We'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Spotify from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The moment we've been waiting for, the Doctor is finally in. That is right. The 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, is here for the woman who fell to Earth in the Doctor Who premiere of the 11th series, if we're going with the British realm anyway, season 11, if you're going the American route. And and I got to tell you, I'm going to run through the you know specifics of the episode really quickly. Of course, we get to see the Doctor sort of pop up on a train that's sort of under attack by this giant tentacled ball of energy, I guess is the best way that I could sort of put it. And when we're introduced to her, she doesn't know who she is, what's going on. Pockets are empty. Spoiler filled, by the way, in case you can't tell. So I haven't really spoiled too much before I give you that. And I mean, she basically has no idea what the hell's going on with herself, but again, ready to jump right in and help when she can. But we also get a story centered around Ryan Sinclair, who is kind of a down-on-his-luck teen. I I say teenager, seems a little bit older than that, and he has a medical condition that affects his balance. He can't ride a bike as as an older individual. And I will say, as someone who struggled with that, I'll admit that I struggled with riding a bike as I got older. I had a burn on my leg, so I didn't get to learn as quickly as some of the other kids did. And then I took a nasty fall when I was a little bit older, and that kind of hampered my ability to learn. So I, I identify with that character and his frustrations in that regard, even though it was under different circumstances. And he's trying to be taught by his stepfather, Graham O'Brien, who's played by Bradley Walsh, and of course his mother, Grace, and we'll get to her a little bit later on. And his frustration is kind of, and it sort of leads him down the path of unleashing one of the evils that are that are in this episode, albeit accidentally, when he chucks the bike down the hill, goes down there to retrieve it and sees that ball of light, which kind of lets the evil kind of in. And then you also have Yasmin, who is a cop who's kind of trying to get out of the whole, stuck in the whole traffic realm, and and she really, really wants to do something more. So now she's sent to investigate this, and that's kind of how I'll call them the team. The team is brought together. And things sort of go from there, investigating, you know, what this thing is that seems to be killing people and why. And we find that out. And then you see the teeth face covered dude that's out there killing people, looking for human trophies to bring back so he can be the new leader of his realm sort of thing. And that's sort of where it goes. But I I think that the main focus of this season going forward is is going to be the search for the TARDIS. That's the one thing we find out is the TARDIS is missing. The Doctor has no idea where the TARDIS is. And that is sort of where the journey is going to kick off. And that is at the end of the episode. But I don't really want to get into the specifics of the episode at this point. What I want to talk about is the feel, especially for me as someone who hasn't watched a lot of Doctor Who. And I will admit that right off. So if you don't want to kind of take my opinions on this episode, I totally understand that and take it for what it's worth. But my excitement for... What I felt was something fresh and something new for a franchise. I had to jump on this and see what I thought. And I will tell you that Jodie Whittaker's performance was very infectious. I really, really fell in love with her portrayal of the Doctor and her energy just in general. And just her goofiness was next level. I really, really enjoyed watching her. Anytime she was on the screen, 
I was interested, but I will also say the same thing for Tosin Cole's Ryan Sinclair character, who I really, really liked and genuinely think that you could see great things from going forward. I mean, everybody thought that Graham O'Brien was automatically just going to be the sidekick to the doctor that we see so much. And that's really, I don't think going to be the case. I think it's going to be Ryan Sinclair and to a less and lesser degree, the, the police officer, Yasmin Khan. And I actually think that she's going to play a different role as well. And it turns out that Ryan and Yasmin know each other. They went to school together. So there's a connection there automatically. And then you throw in the tragedy that happens in this episode where Ryan's mother, Grace actually dies trying to save the day and not only does Graham have to deal with that but Ryan has to deal with that as well and while there is sadness there there's also a that kind of brings them together sort of thing and I mean it's a little uneasy at first obviously you don't that's not just something that you get over right away so it that'll be interesting to see how much that's a callback in the series as it progresses in this first season but it does look like what we're going to find is that it's the search for the TARDIS and how the, and where that adventure is going to take them. And I think that that's really, really interesting that that's what they're going to do. You give you give yourself a nice focal point and something that fans identify with when you're talking about the the TARDIS. Obviously, this is something that you want to find you, because the Doctor can't be the Doctor without the TARDIS, right? And I do like that there was plenty of discussion about how the Doctor becomes the Doctor and the regeneration and explaining it away, not just for the new people that she meets, but for fans that might be watching this show for the first time. And that is something that I was worried that they were going to take for granted, and they really, really didn't. They actually made that a focal point because when you have a female Doctor for the first time ever, and it is about time, you're going to have fans that are going to tune in, like me, that were very interested for that reason. And you're giving me a little bit of information that I might not have had. Obviously, I didn't have that information having watched Doctor Who before, but for anybody watching it for the first time, you don't just shove those fans away. You give them what they need, but at the same time, allow them to be able to follow along with what was a pretty simple story to follow along with in this first episode. And then you can go on telling us why the TARDIS is important and all these other things. Or maybe these fans are so interested they're going to look it up themselves because, let's face it, Google and Wikipedia are a thing and you're not really in the dark with a whole lot anymore in this world. So there's that. But I will tell you that I was genuinely interested in these characters. And while this this first episode and this first story wasn't a knockdown amazing episode overall. It was the performances that really caught my interest and really piqued me in wanting to continue to watch this season of Doctor Who. It was the individual performances of the actors and the actresses themselves that really, really got my attention and definitely will at least have me coming back for the next episode because I want to see if the whole search for the TARDIS thing is going to be the theme of this season or if we will get a big bad or will it be a villain of the week because they don't really deal with this villain. This villain is taken care of in this episode but not killed off. So this is certainly a villain we could see return and I think we'll see return. But I think that the group dynamic and how that builds and just Jodie Whittaker being Jodie Whittaker and being the Doctor I think that the dynamic that they have going here is winning for sure. So as far as season 11 of Doctor Who and the first female Doctor did not disappoint at all, definitely lived up to the hype, and I can't wait to see where we go from here. 
That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Doctor Who Series 11 premiere with the 13th Doctor. Up next, how about we jump into the Flash Season 5 premiere? Let's do it on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Continuing with our Fall TV 2018 coverage, how about a spoiler-filled review of the Season 5 premiere of The Flash? Now, again, a lot of spoilers here, so if you haven't gotten a chance to watch the premiere yet, go ahead and skip ahead about eight minutes or so, and you'll be to our next review that will also be spoiler-filled, and you can make another decision then. But basically, this is the What is Nora West Allen doing in the past, from the future, why is she there? Is she stuck there? Is she not stuck there? What's the deal with her being so enamored with her dad, not so much with her mom? Okay, let's get through all of that stuff. What what I love right off the bat from this episode, not only was the, the first few minutes pretty funny, as far as I could tell, but it, it's this whole arrival of Nora seems to throw everyone off their game, it seems like, because, I mean, you see them in Star Labs a little bit later on after that, and Cisco's got a post-Gypsy hangover thing going on. Ralph's trying to get into the science side, not realizing that everybody already knows all of this stuff that he's coming up with. It just seems like everyone's off their game, and at first I was like, you know what, this is a little weird because everybody's acting strange, and then, you know, it took me a couple seconds to realize that everybody's just thrown off by Nora being there. And as you saw, as the episode progressed, everybody sort of started to slip back into their normal roles and act more like their normal selves. But, I mean, there are little bits and pieces here that we can take from this episode, like like Caitlin trying to find out what's going on with Killer Frost and Ralph getting more into the detective side. Once again, we just, we get to see that a little bit. And Joe and Cecile settling in with the new baby and how that's going. But really what this first episode was about was about the immediate Flash family. And I'm just going to say this right off the bat because I do not want to forget to say this. The chemistry between Grant Gustin and Jessica Parker Kennedy is absolutely amazing as Barry and Nora West Allen. It was just, there was just such, there were sparks when they were on the screen together. And it wasn't just when they were suited up and, and you know, it was, they were literally being a flash family. It was those moments between like a father and daughter, even though it was a very weird kind of dynamic because they were almost the same age at that point. But it was just, there was just something about when those two were together on the screen that was just so captivating and they played off of each other so, so well. And you really felt that emotion between the two of them, and we get to find out why she is so attached to her dad in the first place, and it's basically because she was like three when he disappeared. It always calls back to that newspaper front, doesn't it? Flash disappears in crisis. It, it just seems like a lot of things call back to that, and then we find out that 25 years later, when she when she makes her jump into the past... It, we find out that, hey, he's still missing. So he's been missing almost her entire life. And there was a very tender moment between Iris and Barry earlier on in this episode where Barry's kind of lamenting of, you know, nothing can ever be normal for us. It's always going to be something. And I was hoping that when we had a child, it was going to be the one normal thing that life would give us. And, you know, look at all the firsts that 
I got to miss out on, and, you know, with her being here now. And, and Iris says, you know, we're going to get those things. This is going to happen. And then later on in the episode, we see that, you know, Barry's trying to phase that plane and they have to get to have that moment where he teaches her how to phase and everything goes great. And he's like, she's like, that's the first time I phased and it was with you. And it was a real moment. And they built that up, not over the course of several episodes, but over the course of this one episode, you're able to build that relationship that quickly and make me care that much about it. And that is a testament to not just the actors, but the flash writers room, which has been spot on almost from the beginning in doing stuff like that. So bravo to them for establishing that right away. And we get to find out too that, you know, Nora could have gone back whenever she wanted because she, there was, there really wasn't enough, at least enough wrong with her to the fact where she couldn't go back. So she could go back at any time. But now, you know, Barry kind of wants her to stick around a little bit, which is, which is kind of to the surprise of everybody. So we'll have to see if that will have its consequences. It wouldn't be the first time Barry made his, uh, I'm not going to say it's a selfish decision because everyone really don't think it is. I mean, partially it is based on what he knows about the future. And even Barry said, you know, what we know about the future can can change things and can cause things to, you know, have ripple effects. And it'll be not the first time that Barry's made a decision that has kind of affected future events or even past events, depending on how you want to look at it. So I'd be interested to see how this one does that. I also like how they explain right away about how they can't just toss Nora on the wave rider and take her and take her back to her time. I like how they kind of got that out of the way. Even if you didn't like the explanation, you were thinking it, weren't you? Because I know I was. I'm like, well, you know, Wally's there. He's with the Legends. Let's just put her on the wave rider and this is all over. No, no. It's not that simple. And they go ahead and they explain that away. So I'm glad that they did that. And then we also, as we kind of move forward, because everything else was kind of, I don't want to say filler, but everything else was... This was such a Flash family-centric episode, as it should be. And we get to find out that, you know, maybe Iris wasn't the mom that she wanted to be. And then also remember that Iris's mom wasn't really around either. So, I mean, that's a huge fear for her, is that that's going to happen. But, you know, she did lose her husband, and that's something that needs to be considered. You know, that affects her too, and how she dealt with that might have lent itself to that relationship. And there's a couple of very awkward moments between her and Nora in this episode. And this is something we're going to get to see play out through multiple episodes. But, you know, as much as I like to see everyone else in Team Flash involved in these episodes, and it's very much a team effort, this was very centered around the Flash family. And I think it needed to be. And and I can't wait to see where the other characters' arcs were going as well. But I like that this was the main focus of this episode. And then, of course, at the end, after they take down Gridlock, we get to see a first look at Cicada. We know that his motives are basically, you know, down with Metas. It seems like that's where that one's going. And, you know, very, very creepy. I don't think we even scratched the surface of what Cicada is going to be able to do. And I love that. Very practical look. That should be nothing new to the CW. We get to see that a lot. Speaking of looks, we'll talk about the Batwoman look here coming up a little bit later on in Nerd News. I know you're going to want to get my opinion on that. But Season 5, no no question about it. Another solid, solid premiere from The Flash and definitely 
built a foundation going forward for this season in such a short amount of time. And there were plenty of lighthearted moments as well. It doesn't seem like this season will be as dark, but I do think that we're going to get some solid emotion out of this season for sure. That's going to do it for my spoiler field review of the season five premiere of The Flash. We got one more because right after The Flash was Black Lightning season two premiere. Talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Aaron Pierre from Krypton on Sci-Fi, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. From one family affair to another, it's time to talk about the season two premiere of Black Lightning, also on the CW. And remember the end of last season... You know, they got the they got the pods, they found the missing kids slash teenagers, however you want to refer to them. And it seemed like everything was good. And you, you know, you see them kind of jogging off together. The the Pierce family, the with the daughters and dad, they're jogging off and everybody's having fun, everybody's having a good time. You know that Tobias Will's still out there, and that is something that's gonna be need to be dealt with. We know that the briefcase is still out there as well. That's a mystery. That is a part of this, but it seemed like everything was okay. Again, I want to highlight the fact that there will be spoilers for the season two premiere from here on out. So let's just keep that in mind. So then we actually get into the meat of the episode itself and we find out that, you know, Jefferson kind of under investigation and the school looks like it is also in jeopardy, possibly being closed. We find out later on the episode actually does end up being closed. And they're trying to figure out, you know, where was he when all this stuff went down, when Khalil and Tobias were in there and everything was going haywire. Where was the principal of Garfield High? And he, you know, how do you explain it? With you can't just raise your hand and be like, oh, I'm Black Lightning. I was there. Didn't go so well for me at the time, but I was there and I was trying to help. No, no. As a matter of fact, they referenced the fact that if it wasn't for Black Lightning, Things could have been a lot worse. So, And then you see Jennifer having a huge amount of trouble controlling her powers and how that's taking its toll on the family. And then you also have the families themselves of these kids that have been missing and that are part of these green light experiments that are in these pods. Now, granted, I'm sure they don't know the whole story of what's going on, but they're trying to get their family members back. And the government's like, no, no, we need to hang on to this because we need to figure out what's going on. And then you see the real differentiation between Jefferson and his daughter, Anissa. I mean, she's always been one to fight for fight for justice, and they even talk about that, where how, you know, Jefferson says you have to sometimes work within the system, and she talks about how the system is broken. And to me, one of the most meaningful parts of this episode, one of the most interesting things, was when Anissa takes it upon herself to go get the money 
that is going to be needed to you know hire lawyers for these families to get their children back and get their their family members back. And what she essentially does is, is you see her rob drug dealers, rob criminals to get this money, and then kind of you know under the dark of night and under the you know under the disguise, you know dump the money in the church's lap so they can help these families. So that was one of those times I'm like, girl, when your daddy finds out what you did, whoo, this is not going to be good. I mean, and, and there's an argument to be made there, right? I mean, her heart's in the right place. You feel like she's probably doing it for the right reasons. But at the same time, these things usually have a find a way to have a backlash effect on themselves, right? It's like even having her grow out there, as thunder, you know, and and have her, you know, fighting alongside dad. That that had its consequences. Look how that ends up affecting the relationship between Jefferson and Lynn, who you know they're trying to reconcile. They're trying to become a family again, and we see what's going on with the daughters clashing with the two parents, as you know it often does in relationships. And the, I'm, but this is not a normal relationship, then, is it? And then you've also got the fact that. You know, Lynn wants to continue her work with these green lights, experimental victims and the pods. And, you know, you've got the government people trying to shut her out of it. And they're trying to get her to squeal on who Black Lightning is and all these other things and how she knows so much about what's going on. And this is all there's just a lot of stress and stress, you know, has been known to fracture many, many giant things that you would never expect. I mean, think about a stress crack. Think about a stress crack in a bridge. Eventually, that water's coming out if you don't do something to stop it. So, and that is one of the things that we get to see in this episode is how the stress of everything that's going on is affecting the Pierce family. And that was one of the heavy things about this episode. But another part of the episode that I thought was really neat was when Bill Henderson, you know, the police officer, finds out. You know, kind of puts two and two and two together to find out that Jefferson is in fact Black Lightning. And there's that scene where he confronts Black Lightning and kind of, you know, forces him to almost reveal himself because the guy's just got too much evidence. And then once Jefferson takes that mask off and there's this just this man-to-man moment between the two of them where, you know, Henderson kind of can't believe that he sort of kept this from him and isn't sure how to process the information. And it's very tense, but all at the same time, it was a very necessary moment, I think, to move forward for the show. It, but at the same time, you don't really know how this is going to go at this point because we don't really get back to that in this episode. So it's very, very curious to see how Henderson will ultimately react to this information that he's found out. And also Jefferson gets to find out what was going on with Kara Foudy and how she was kind of playing both sides a little bit. And now she wants to save her own behind from Tobias Whale. And by the way, can we just say Black Lightning is not afraid to drop bodies? This show, I mean, did you see Cyanide getting killed in this episode? Because I didn't. And it just happened right there. I'm like, man, this show is not afraid at all to just go ahead and drop bodies. And you almost feel like, Nobody is safe, but at the same time, I thought that was kind of good. I mean, even when she go when um, when Kara Foudy goes to confront Tobias Will, you don't know how that's going to go, and then all of a sudden, snap of the fingers, Tobias is on the upper hand. So it's just very interesting how this show just doesn't it, it always keeps you on your toes. It's one of the things that Black Lightning 
does really, really well. I do think that the show sometimes lacks focus. Like when you give me something really, really good, like what's going on with the Pierce family, I tend to want more of that. And if you gave me a lot of that, I don't think that I would be upset about it. And then you, you, you're kind of focusing on Anissa's story and you're trying to also focus on real world social, social justice issues. And sometimes that, that feels maybe a little bit forced. I think, I think the story goes good on its own and deals with those issues on its own already. And, and there are times where it feels like it's being highlighted for the sake of being highlighted and not necessarily being an organic part of the story, which it is a lot of times. And then there's other times where it's, where it just doesn't feel as organic as it could. So I think when this show is at its most focused on what it wants to do, that's when it shines. But when it's not, it tends to drift a little bit. So I'm curious to see where that focus is going to be. And if we will have a little bit more of that, coming up in future episodes, but that is not a knock at all. I mean, if, if anything, that's a minor criticism of a show that is telling a pretty darn good story and having a returning villain and really a returning story as well, if you want to be honest, because this is very much a continuation of what happened in season one, and that's something that's kind of new for CW shows as far as the superhero realm in general. So I'm very interested to see if the pace can be kept up with Black Lightning, and if the story of the family and about the takedown of Tobias Whale is the main focus of the show going forward. That's going to do it for this week in Geek Tainment after a lot of reviews, but we've still got some nerd news to get to. So we'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Let's do this. It's time to squat up because it's time for nerd news. And the reason I say that is because Suicide Squad has a new frontman, at least in the script anyway. The rap is reporting that James Gunn is headed to D.C. after all and that he will be writing the Suicide Squad maybe not be sequel. Okay, Warner Brothers has confirmed this, by the way. And now there's no director deal in place yet, but he will be writing... Suicide Squad, and it looks like this will not be a sequel. It's going to be a fresh take on the characters now. Does this mean it's going to be a soft reboot, a a complete reboot of the Suicide Squad? Who knows? There's no word on any recasting or shuffling of the team or anything like that. I can't imagine that they replace Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn at any point. I'm sure that Will Smith would still be dead shot. I mean, as long as Will Smith is still interested and available to do the project. Now, for anyone who was agreeing with Marvel in firing James Gunn, I totally understand why you would say that. I, you know, I have my opinions on that. You know, I certainly don't agree with what James Gunn said. But again, I, I go back to you had to know about this when you hired him anyway. So I'm not sure why you do this now. But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole again because I've already discussed this on a past show. But I will say this if you're DC, and Warner Brothers, why wouldn't you do this, right? Why wouldn't you take the shot? People are already criticizing you anyway. Every move that you make and every movie that you've done, aside from really Wonder Woman at this point, you've been criticized at every turn. You know James Gunn is a proven entity. You know what he's able to do. You saw what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy. Give him the keys to the Suicide Squad, and let him do his thing. You have somebody that legitimately knows 
how to make an enjoyable ensemble cast movie, why wouldn't you let him do this? Why wouldn't you let him take a crack at Green Lantern Corps? Two, for that matter. I'm not saying shove everything on James Gunn, pl- Gun- James Gunn's plate and let him be the savior by any means. But, you know, it doesn't look like Green Lantern Corps is going to get off the ground anytime soon. And if the, if all goes well with Suicide Squad, maybe this gets fast-tracked now that you've got a guy like James Gunn at the helm. I'm just saying that if you're DC, why not take a chance on this guy? And you cannot... I don't think you can criticize them for hiring him. And we all we are also... A world that is full of second chances, I would think, because it seems like we hand out a lot of them, especially in Hollywood. Now, whether you think that James Gunn needed a second chance or not, maybe you think that he never should have gotten fired in the first place, and that's fine as well. But what I'm saying is is that DC's making the right decision here. Warner Brothers making the right decision, and apparently it was a unanimous, unanimous one. And Warner Brothers executives are going to back this play, and I think it is a good move and I think we'll slowly but surely start to find out more information about this, especially with a name like James Gunn involved. Stuff is going to find its way of getting out. Speaking of getting out, we finally got the tweeted photo by about a thousand different people. Uh, Ruby Rose, first look as Batwoman from the Elseworlds DC TV crossover. And because there's going to be, because you're going to hear the interviews from Arrow here a little bit later on the show, and there's plenty of questionable language on that. I'm just going to go ahead with this on my own. When I first saw this look at Batwoman on Twitter, my first words out of my mouth were, holy shit. I was so impressed when I saw this. Maybe the most comics-accurate costume they have ever done in the Arrowverse. And, I mean, you could make the argument for Supergirl all these other things. I understand that. To me, this one feels the most comics accurate of anything that they've done. Not to say that all the other costumes have been garbage because there's plenty of good ones in the Arrowverse, but this one blew me away. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I wa- if you weren't convinced that Ruby Rose looked the part before this, you have to be convinced now, don't you? I mean, we are certainly past that point, aren't we? Are, are the haters really, really still out there? I know that she hasn't spoken a word, made a move, or done anything in this costume yet to tell us that she can deliver the performance of this character. I am basing this on looks alone at the moment because that's all we have. Based on looks alone, I am more sold than I was before I saw this picture. That's all I'm saying. And if you can't get there... I'm not sure what's going to get you there. I'm not sure what the complaint is anymore because I've seen some of them. I won't point them out specifically, but I will say that there are plenty of them that are ridiculous and need to stop. And there was no need to bully her off of social media either. I could tell you that right now. For I, for one, am looking way more forward to seeing her in the DC TV crossover than I did before, and I was already looking forward to it a ton. So I'm just saying that this picture blew me away, and I can't wait to see the rest. How about a little bit of trailer talk and something that we got, you know, not too long ago, actually, and that was the first look at the teaser trailer for the Aladdin live-action movie. Now, if you don't know the release date yet, going to be May the 24th of 2019, so next summer. We don't really get to see much, though, do we? We get to see a lot of stunning landscapes, some 
great visuals and intense voiceover. But we what we did get to see was Mina Masoud's look at Aladdin. We get to see him grabbing for the lamp, getting ready to take it. And I got to tell you, just based on the really quick short look that we got, it's a good look. I think that, you know, it's hard to get that look exactly like it did in the animated series, right? But I think that they're pretty darn close. So I, I think if that's what, we're, if you, if that's what you're going to give us, then I think that's enough for a teaser trailer. And I saw social media losing its mind a little bit over this. And we're not understanding that trailers now, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see it, obviously. But you use the word trailers now. Trailers are like three minutes long now. So anything that's a minute and a half in this day and age is a teaser trailer. This is not a full trailer, so you're not going to get full reveals. It was like, here's what the landscape is going to look like. Here's what the setting's going to look like. Here's a quick look at Aladdin. You're welcome. That's what Disney said with this trailer. So, so if you're getting up in arms over how little we saw, I guess I kind of understand that you, you're excited for this. You wanted to see more. I get it. Be patient. Let these things happen gradually. Let the reveals come out a little bit at a time. This is why we get leaked set photos, because we can't wait five seconds for something to be revealed the way it should be revealed and look the way it's supposed to look, not some cell phone camera footage from like 10 blocks away look at how it looks like. Then The same thing happened with the Shazam suit, which apparently is going to change now anyway, so it won't matter what we saw in that trailer. All I'm saying is, is that you're better off seeing these things the way that they're meant to be seen. And the reason that you're not seeing it now is because what else would they have to reveal later on in other trailers? Once they release the full trailer, I'm sure we'll get a little bit more. We might not necessarily get a look at the genie. We might not necessarily get a look at Jasmine or Jafar, but damn it, at least we got something. Okay, this is a teaser trailer, and at least we got a look at Aladdin. It wasn't just a tight shot of the lamp and then the sh- and then the movie logo, the date, and then they're out. They could have done that, but they didn't. They gave you something, so at least be grateful for that. Before we move on, I wanted to talk about something that I'm not so sure about, to be honest. And that is a report from Variety that Secret Six is coming to CBS. And now, if you're not familiar with Secret Six, it's a DC Comics property where it follows six morally ambiguous strangers, each with their own unique specialties and secret past. That's part of the synopsis, by the way. They're brought together by an enigmatic figure who blackmails them into working as a team to expose the corruption of the corporate and political elite. Now, that is the gist of what's going on. As far as the show goes, there is a pilot production order given only. That's where we're at right now with this for CBS. Now, Moving on a little bit, you're thinking, all right, who are the members going to be? Because if you're familiar with this Secret Six at all, I mean, Bane was a part of it, Lex Luthor, Mad Hatter, but honestly, it could be anybody, right? I I, I don't think for a second that we're going to get a lot of big names for this, especially since, I mean, really going to bring Lex Luthor into this and not Supergirl? It just doesn't seem like that would be a a smart fit. I'll get to this whole Supergirl thing here in just a second because I know that you're waiting on that. But as far as who's going to be involved in this, you're going to have Mick Muriagu, 
who did Suits. I butchered your name. Sorry about that. And he's going to be doing the writing. He's also going to be executive producing. We also have Bill Lawrence from Scrubs who will be involved. And Jeff Ingold will also be executive producers via Dozer Productions. Or Dozer Productions, excuse me. Speaking of Supergirl, remember what happened when Supergirl was at CBS? First season was good. Not going to lie. Then CBS is like, eh, you know, this is too expensive. It really isn't our thing. We're going to cancel it. And you knew instantly it was going to be picked up by the CW, which is also part of CBS Broadcasting, by the way, just in case you were wondering. So I'm just wondering, really, we're going to do this again? Are we really going to go this route one more time with trying to put another comic book property on CBS, maybe this ends up on CBS All Access. Maybe that would be a blessing in disguise for this show. But if you're Warner Brothers in DC, I mean, you've got DC Universe. You've got all kinds of great shows that you're doing on your own there. Things are working for you at the CW. You're branching out into places like Epics and streaming other streaming services. Why wouldn't you just kind of do this on your own? I mean, I'm not sure. I, I you know, I talked about second chances with James Gunn. Is CBS a second chance you really want to take? I don't know. It just seems like CBS is the Hollywood reboot capital of TV right now with everything that they're doing. That seems to be their wheelhouse. That and their you know various NCSI-type programming and, I guess, Blue Bloods. I just don't know if CBS is the right home for this. I hope I'm wrong about that because I actually think that Secret Six could be a really cool concept. Definitely works better on TV. And, I mean, until we know the roster and casting and stuff like that, it's going to be hard to tell exactly what the pulse of this is going to be. But for now, I'm just a little bit worried that it's CBS. That's going to do it for Nerd News up next. Yep, Arrow's about to kick off its seventh season, so we'll dive right in with the cast, showrunner, producer, director, all that stuff is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Echo Callum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. I always look forward to fall TV every year, and one of the shows I always look most forward to, you know this if you listen to the show, is Arrow. Season 7 about to begin this Monday, or maybe it's already begun, depending on when you're listening to the show. Either way, I got to sit down with the cast, the showrunner, and producer at San Diego Comic-Con this year. How about we start off with David Ramsey, talking about Diggle. As a matter of fact... He just sets the tone for the season in general and what's going on with Diggle right here. You know, Oliver's in prison. Um, Diaz, as you know, got away, which is a, a different kind of tactic for Arrow, right? We usually rid ourselves of our big bad every season. So um, at the end of the season, you're going to see Diggle visiting Oliver. This is We're five months into his prison sentence, I think, or so. And uh, Diggle's... There's a regular kind of visitation that Diggle has and, and a report in of here are the current things happening. And um, and I think the team's taking advantage of Diggle's resources with Argus. A lot. A lot. Because we no longer have a layer and um, new team arrow and old team arrow is very, very fragmented. So um, the long reach of Argus is something that both teams have uh, have really taken advantage. And, and, but we're all trying in our own way to, to find Diaz, and that trail's gone cold. One thing I get to ask David is, how is his relationship with his wife going to evolve this season? Well, then you also had kind of a really up-and-down relationship Diggle did with his wife last season. There was a lot of push and pull there. Now, how is that going to evolve? Or where is that at at the beginning of this Listen, season? Listen, you have 
you have Lila Michaels, uh, effectively um, the new Amanda Waller, if you will. Um, that's just ripe for conflict with someone who's another vigilante or, or a vigilante and her husband. So that exploration is all throughout this season. Um, and, and I think also there's, like if you would, if we can parallel it to um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. dynamic and they're answering to the government, I think we have, we're playing with that this season as well, with Argus. Argus has, they have bosses. And um, they used a lot of resources last year, last season, to find Diaz. And we have to, uh, we're going to be answering for that. Next up was the new showrunner for Arrow, Beth Schwartz. And the first question that was asked to her was, hey, when you got the top job, what did you want to change or shift about the show? So I've been on the show since season one. It's been um, a, a, an incredible ride, and um, and I love these characters so much. I feel very close to them. And for me, I you know I, I love the show, and I want it to be the same. But um, one thing I want to add is is um, getting to to know our characters and and finding out new things that we haven't you know that we have not known about them even in six years of, of a series. Next question was, I mean, Oliver is in prison. How dark is the tone going to be this season? Yeah, it's not light. <laughs> um, I tend to like, I mean, I think the concept of the show was dark. And there, we're definitely um, channeling season one a lot. And there's going to be lots of sort of callbacks to season one this season that I'm really excited about. Um, so going back to the roots is, um, is definitely, you'll see in season seven. Next up, I get to ask Beth Schwartz, talking about Oliver revealing himself as the Green Arrow, is that kind of a reveal for Felicity as well? By extension, do you feel like that's almost an identity reveal for Felicity as well? It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, well, not for her, not necessarily for her not being for on Team Arrow, but yeah, that's, a, you know, her husband is is the Green Arrow, and every, the whole public knows, so she'll have to deal with those challenges as well. Now, at the time at San Diego Comic-Con, it wasn't revealed that the Longbow Hunters were going to be a part of Season 7. We know that now, but find out what Beth's said when I asked her about it in that moment. Can we see the revisit of maybe the Longbow Hunters at some point? It's possible. I mean, we mentioned them in Season 6 um, with Diaz, so I know that the fans are super excited. Um, so we'll see. Next up, the Green Arrow himself, Stephen Amell, sat down at San Diego Comic-Con, and of course, the first question was, what's life behind bars going to be like for Oliver? It's one day at a time. <laughs> this will make more sense when you see the when you see the trailer. One day at a time. Actually, like Oliver has his head down. He's trying to, you know, avoid conflict, and he's just pressing on. Talking to the cast and producer and showrunners of Arrow, talking about season seven, and I got to ask. Well, I tried to ask Stephen Amell this question. What I meant to ask was. Do you feel like the way that last season ended with Oliver making his peace with the entire team before going to prison, that he's maybe in the best place he's been in mentally with them? Instead, it came out this way, but still a great answer from Steven. In an, in an odd way, do you kind of feel like after the way last season ended that Oliver is kind of mentally in one of the best places he's been in, even though he's in prison? No, he's in a horrible place when we when, when when we start the year. I mean, you know, he made this deal with he made this deal with the with the FBI, and he gave himself up. And he's really got a question like, 
was it all for nothing? Because Diaz is, he's alive, you know? Um, and he's put himself in prison with a bunch of people that he sent to prison. <laughs> bad in there for him. Really, really bad. I'm so glad that somebody got a chance to ask Stephen Amell at, about the crossover that's going to be coming up, and especially with Batwoman coming to the fold. Find out what he had to say. <laughs> I can't say shit. <laughs> I do know that when it got when it got pitched to me, when Greg pitched it to me, um, I was like, oh man, that's awesome. Really? Because we went so big with the crossover last year, can't go bigger. You have to go more about like the characters and the story. Um, and um, yeah, no, I can't say that. Never mind. <laughs> then after that answer, I decided you know feed off of that a little bit and ask him what it was like to finally acknowledge that Gotham exists in the Arrowverse and expanding things in that way. Well, let's talk about this since it's already out. The Batwoman character is already, we've already been told that, that she's going to be a part of the crossover. Yeah. What's it like having that character coming into this world and kind of finally acknowledging, okay, Gotham does exist in this universe and that'll be a part of it. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's great. I, you know, like, the more the more the merrier. You know, I've, I've always, uh, I've taken, a, you know, I've, I've always taken a lot of pride in the fact that you know, our show has helped, uh, certainly not been instrumental, but has helped and lent a hand to other shows. I hope that David Rappaport nails the Batwoman casting. I hope she's awesome. I hope that their show does 10 years. Um, you know, we'll see. I don't know. Next up, it was producer and director James Bam Bam Bamford, and he was asked, you know, how can we view... Oliver this upcoming season and he just kind of took it from there. I would say that we can look at season seven as a new start, if you will, a new progression in uh, his character, within his character, um, and what you get to see what, um, hopefully we're painting the picture uh, properly, but you get to see what prison, uh, prison life would actually, how it would affect a human being, even someone as strong um, both mentally and physically, as uh, as the Green Arrow is, um, we'll get to see how prison life affects even the strongest of people, and how it can break you down, and how it can. Um, I know it sounds all very dark, because it is. <laughs> um, and uh, our goal is to try and portray um, at, w within our you know within our established uh, established uh, mythology. Um, try to portray our, our, uh, the prison as realistic as humanly possible. But we're trying very hard to be as technically correct with uh, different aspects of the pr policies and procedures that you would find within a prison. Um, so I was uh, myself a uh, corrections officer uh, uh, in, while I was very young. Um, now, a couple of years ago. Um, Long time ago, um, and uh, so we're trying to, um, you know, research and and keep it. Yeah, obviously we're taking liberties because it's a television show. Um, you'll find that it's it's a it's it's about as close to to real as you can get. Bar, I mean, it's not Oz, but um, <laughs> that's good enough. But uh, yeah, well, because. 
you know, we're not HBO, so we can't go there. Um, we would if we sure were. Sure, Stephen's very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, he's he, he you, like I said, you'll find him a, a different person and how he sort of handles himself within the confines of, of, of the structure of the prison and you'll see some new character development as a result of that. So I knew it was going to be fun the second that Emily Bett Rickards, who of course plays Felicity, and Echo Kellum, who plays Curtis, when they sat down, you just could tell they were ready to have some fun. And I mean, since they weren't really able to talk about a whole lot anyway, they decided to have a little fun, and someone asked about their chemistry on the show, and this happened. Zero. This only yeah. yeah. Only physics. Yeah. Yeah. Only physics. Only a little biology. No chemistry physics here. Physics doesn't get yeah. you shit. No, physics it doesn't. doesn't get you anywhere. I don't care how many G's I'm moving. <laughs> Whoa. Give me that, that chemistry. Is so many G's, Whoa. man. Yeah, you know what? There should be some. There should be some like it's a G Force thing shirts going on. Like it's a G thing. It's a G Force yes. thing. Yes. Yes. I think you I just made a billion dollars. Copyright. Copyright. Excuse me, sir. Stop talking. Oh, we gotta go. We gotta. I have to talk to my business manager. <laughs> We're gonna not to mention all over. All over. Yes. I wish my secret socks didn't have any fucking G-force because they're all the way down my shoe. Her socks are rolling all the way into her shoe, guys. It's a nightmare. You guys ever walk like that? It's a nightmare. A designer drug called G-force in the show. We should pitch that. Yeah, we should have one. What's Beth. the what's the uh where's where's our boss? Beth. Beth. <laughs> Beth we have an we, idea for the show. We need a designer drug on the show called G Force. Yeah, Vertigo okay. goes out. Vertigo goes Yeah, Vertigo goes so elastic. Vertigo's like so, it's 2008. Vertigo's 2008. Let's be real. It's the new hotness. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It gives you. Listen, 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 listen. Hear us out. Real quick, real quick. Listen. Okay. Okay. So, 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 what happens, what happens is, is so much so gravitational pull. I know what's happening here. I know what's happening here. What's happening? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're G-forcing yeah. you right now. <laughs> That's a G-force. All right, so we think it's official. It's going to happen. This is about the G-force. Boom. Boom. All right, guys. We'll see you. <laughs> so much rewriting to do. <laughs> Uh, Beth, we got another idea. We got a great idea. <laughs> How much rewriting okay. is that? <laughs> okay. okay, so listen. Okay, so, so listen, listen, check it out. Listen, so, listen. so we were just talking right here, right now, in front right of all, here, them, all right? these people. Right. Right. So we're breaking right. news right. to you guys right now, right? This is spoilers, 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 spoilers for everybody around. Spoilers. Okay, great. Felicity gets a car. Right. She goes really fast. She goes super fast. Super, super fast. And then she enters the G Force. Yes. And then they start doing the drugs. Okay, here we go. I think that's it. Move over, Barry Allen. There we go. We're really, we're really being efficient. Oh, sorry. Bam, bam, bam. We got an idea. Come here, bam. He's a producer. Come here. We got an idea for you. Yeah, we got an idea. We want to pitch an idea to you. Yeah, we got an idea. We got an idea. I'm busy. He doesn't want to. Oh, you're doing it. Do you see what we have to work every day? It's like, Emily, we can't talk to you right now. Juliana, we have an idea. Come here, Juliana. Please, Juliana. Come here. Come here. Come here. We know you have no pull in the writing of the show, but listen, listen. But if we can get her on board, then I think they'll really do it, right? Together we can. Together we can. Together we can. Listen. Together. Ready? Yes. Okay. Okay. So. so, the thing is, we were just talking right now in right. front of all these people. All these people, right? No. So you heard of the drug Vertigo? Vertigo, yeah. yeah. Right. But think about it, Vertigo was not hot anymore. Right. Yeah. And instead, uh -huh. it was G-force. G -force. Boom. 
How's that sound? I love it. Boom, and it's happening on the show. Don't you, don't you already feel it? G-force? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's literally G-force, like when your face gets sucked? No, yep. no, no, but no. also a drug. <laughs> but also a real drug well, that messes I, you up. So did you oh, so okay, G-force. Bam, 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 G-force, please. Okay, okay, no, I love it, do it. I'm okay, so right okay. we got it. Okay, Are you good with our idea? I don't know what the fuck Shake on it, shake on it. Just agree and design your drug. It's so hard to sell an idea in this town. Yeah. This is why so many people give up on the dream right there, what he did to us. Next up, it was Rick Gonzalez, who, of course, plays Renee Wild Dog on the show. First question up for him was, where is he at mentally at the start of season seven? Realistically, like, because Oliver's in prison, he's given us a directive to keep on fighting. We're all going to interpret that in our own way. Uh, I don't want to, I kind of want to leave that for you guys to kind of like see in the, you know what I mean? Because that's going to be the interesting part to be like, oh, well, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see him interpreting it that way, you know. Uh, so for me, it's important that um, uh, we kind of leave some, some things open, you know, not touch, not, not, not tease. So you guys can like genuinely have uh, something to look forward to. Um, Again, I, I, you know, I, this season is about redemption. Uh, Renee's journey is going to be uh, uh, a story about trying to understand the choices he made becoming Wild Dog and why he made those choices, being a dad, um, and also, you know, um, having Oliver in prison. Uh, what does that mean in terms of him, you know, continuing to fight back? You know, we still have Diaz who's still out there. You know, we've never done that on the show before. We've never had a villain survive. So um, there's a lot of pieces in place that we left in six that still need to be resolved. Um, so that's going to be the interesting part. And what I love about the show is, like, the idea that we can not kill off a villain, that we can outlaw uh, being a vigilante in Star City. Um, so now the, the, the journey and the navigating that as actors and for the characters is going to be interesting to play and to see play out. Surprised nobody really got a chance to ask this yet, so Rick Gonzalez was asked what the team dynamic is going to be like this season. We, we did a lot of healing at the end of last year. We, we, we came together as a team and understood, I'm sorry because I did this. I own it. I apologize. Um, and I think the team definitely grew in terms of, I mean, you have to have growth there. You know, it's just, it's just people learning and growing with each other and respecting each other for what they do. Um, and so the, that won't disappear. You know, I think that energy will permeate uh, within the scenes when you see us next season. Uh, but it'll also make it more interesting and complex to see, you know, characters make decisions that may feel like, wait, I thought we were good. So, which is what makes the show awesome to me. Working. So, yeah. My question to Rick was, well, you know, Zoe knows that he's Wild Dog now and going into the season. She's known for a while, so how's that going to evolve this year? How much more will his daughter knowing now that he's Wild Dog continue to evolve in Season 7? Because we saw it a little bit, but by Season 7, she's already known for a while, so how does that go? Interesting, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think... Um, I, I, you know, William 
William was okay with it. You know, I think I think Oliver wasn't in terms of like revealing that world. But William was like, I'm fine knowing that. You know, and I think Zoe kind of proved that last season. Like, yeah, I know I know what you do. You know, and I think it's interesting because kids are always like, it's not a big deal, Dad. Like, you know, like okay. You like to play baseball, cool, I don't care, you know, it's just like, um, so it, it's just that kind of thing of like, um, Zoe's super smart, um, super mature, um, and so I, I would imagine that she'd be, she'd be totally fine with that, that, that idea, you know, so we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. The excitement in the press room at San Diego Comic-Con 2018 for Arrow definitely had to be the fact that Colton Hayes is back, and when Roy Harper himself sat down, the first question really was obvious. What's it like to be back full-time? It's amazing. Um, that was really fucking loud. That <laughs> um, was intense. It's so amazing to be back on the show. Um, I... Like, it's so amazing to be with, you probably saw us on the carpet, we were all acting like children. And so it's so nice to be back in the, in the family. And um, a lot of my stuff is condensed in a certain place, so I don't get to work as much as everybody else, which everyone's like, you have time off. But I'm like, I want a schedule. So, um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, it's, I'm just so happy. I mean, I they, they Beth, having Beth as our showrunner is so, I don't know, like, I love, I've always loved working with females, like, no offense, but more than males, because um, having female directors this season, having Beth as our female showrunner, it just brings a different thing to the show, and it's so special, and she's so attentive, and so, it's just, it's, it's super special, so we're all really lucky that, that you know, because we all don't know how long we're going to be here, so um, this, you know, hopefully it's not our last Comic-Con, but, um, I'm just happy that she's here, so yeah. Common theme was, you know, they couldn't really say much, and he couldn't tell us whether or not he'd be suiting up, but Colton did tell us what he could about Roy and something that is coming. Roy comes back, and it's so mind-blowing that I can't, I can say that. It, it's gonna, people are gonna freak out because it's not the same Roy. It's just, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I don't know how I'm gonna, you know, rise to this occasion, but um, it's going to be fun. Super, super fun. The fans are going to effing fucking freak out. Um, and it's going to be so cool. It, it's, it's going back to like, it's going back to the, like, kind of the beginning of how the show used to be, you know, and so it's super exciting and, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. I really thought that Arrow last season really, really rebounded. I thought that there were some tough times in season five and season four, of course, I wasn't a fan of, but season six was really, really a big rebound moment for me, and I thought overall it was a great season with Ricardo Diaz coming back this season. We know we have the Longbow Hunters. We know we have so many things to look forward to with Oliver being in prison. And there's, there's just so many different things to focus on and so many different things to look forward to. I'm really expecting huge things from Season 7 of Arrow. Moving to Mondays on October the 15th, starting at 8 o'clock. I got to tell you, Arrow Season 7, I think they, they keep talking about going back to the Season 1 roots. I think this could have a chance at being the best season of Arrow ever, and I hope it is. It's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. There was a lot going on this week. I want to thank, of course, Warner Brothers TV, 
in D.C. for allowing me to be a part of the Arrow Press Room at San Diego Comic-Con once again this year. If you want more info on the show, or maybe you want to look back at last year's coverage, downandnerdypodcast.com is where you want to go for that. You can also subscribe to the show all over the place, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us on there. Also, follow us on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>